Hello, everybody. I am your host, Wendy Nystrom with Environmental Social Justice. And we are doing a continuation on a series that I'm doing this year regarding the LGBTQ community and the fact that there has been a bit of an attack on the people of that community. And I'm doing a series just talking to my friends, talking to their friends, and sharing their life stories. So today I have my friend Rob Bruce. He is a retired city planner. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you, Wendy. It's great to be here. Wonderful to have you. And Rob is a good friend of mine. We've been in each other's homes. He's one of the calmest people I know. So every time I get all worked up about something, you have this Zen-like quality that just overall relaxes people. It's a wonderful trait that you have. But um, we're here to talk about you and your story. And you actually have a very unique story. Um, let's start out with, you said you came out of the closet or finally accepted the fact you were gay at the age of 33. Right. Right. And it was that um, late in the game, early in the game? I mean, did you feel like you were coming to the party late? <laughs> well, a little bit of everything. It was, I grew up in a very conservative community, a very conservative household. And so the way I was raised, being gay was on the same level as pedophile or rapist. And I certainly wasn't anything like that. No. Um, so, and, you know, get into high school and, you know, a couple of guys were hitting on me, but sorry, but you know, there were very feminine guys who obviously knew they were gay immediately and there no bells, whistles, nothing, you know, come from my end. So I'm like, well, these guys, are, these gay guys are hitting on me and I'm not interested. So obviously I'm not gay. Yeah. I gotta wait and meet the right woman. Yeah. You know, eventually, you know, I'll turn the corner and there'll be the right woman and we'll go off and do the normal thing. Well, you know, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. And then I'm 33 years old and a big hot linebacker puts a move on me. I go, oh shit. There it is. Fireworks, you know, all the stuff that you see in the movies and you hear in the love songs that if you haven't experienced it, you just think it's all make-believe. Yeah. You know, it's just all um, fiction. So, you know, I'm going along that I'm like 33 years old, like, oh shit. You know, it's, I'm feeling feelings I've never felt before. Yeah. Um, so I'm going along and I'm starting to reach out into it. And, you know, I'm in my career, I'm 33. I've been working for the city of Simi Valley for about three years at this point. And there were a couple of people in the office who I suspected would be gay, but they would always, you know, we talk about their weekends, they'd always speak in gender neutral terms. Yes. We went and did that. We went and did this. And, you know, unless you really poked and prodded or knew them very well, you didn't know who the we was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, once I kind of, dealt with it and went, okay, so this is who I am. This is what I've got to deal with. You know, I told a couple of people, you know, close personal friends, and it's, it's a long story. you got to explain a lot of things. So when it came to the office, I was like, you know, I'm not into having the 60 people that I work with stop by one-on-one -on -one and ask questions. So I took the office gossip to lunch and I told her. <laughs> And, you know, practically before we got back to the office, everybody knew. So you very just, efficient, very yeah. efficient of you. <laughs> you spread the word. 
everybody you knew immediately. And those that had questions came and asked. And, you know, there several of the gay guys in the office came by like, well, why didn't you ever tell me? And I'm like, well, why didn't you ever tell me? <laughs> well, I didn't know you were gay. Well, hello. Um, so, you know, these are going along and I'm, and I'm doing pretty well in my job. And a couple of critical projects came up where the person in charge had gone out on medical leave. Okay. And uh, there were projects in a division that I didn't normally work in for that city, but I had worked in previously in my career. So uh, they said, we've got this problem. We need this work. And I was the only one that stepped up and said, I can do it. You know, um, but you know, this, this is all high level and person who is responsible for supervising that section is somebody that I don't think I can work with. I kill him. So if the uh, division director would supervise me on it, I would be happy to do the project. Fair enough. And, and, and he agreed. I mean, where did I have the right to say, I won't work for this guy, but I will work for that guy. But it worked. And uh, the guy's name was Jim Lightfoot, a mensch of all menches. Uh, he grew up in uh, Michigan in a Methodist um, missionary family. So his parents were missionaries, his aunts and uncles were missionaries. He and his wife Paula would go off in missionary work. Uh, super, super nice people, salt of the earth, you know, scoutmaster, the kind that you trust. Um, <laughs> Uh, super, super great people. And so we're working on this project and uh, things are going pretty well and we're, we're done meeting about the project. And then he gets up and he closes the door. He says, Rob, I want to talk to you about something. I'm like, uh, oh shit. Uh, you know, yeah. what have I done wrong? Or whose toes have I stepped on? Or, or you know, what, what do I need to know here? He's like, well, you know, I, I just wanted to say that you know, I grew up very conservatively and in the Methodist church. And I was taught that, you know, being gay was bad and evil. And I've never really had any gay friends in my life. And, and I've known you for several years. And for the last couple of months, I've known that you're gay and you're okay. And there's, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's, you know, you're, you're not a horrible person. You're, you're not a sexual predator. And he says, I just wanted to thank you for oh. being open oh. and coming out like you did uh, so that I could have the experience of, re of knowing somebody well one-on-one -on -one and being able to form my own opinion. Yeah. And he was a great supporter from, you know, from before then and after them. Then, and his, you know, uh, he and his wife came out to several parties at the house. Um, They're always super sweet. They had, they raised two wonderful children that I got to know a little bit. So it was a really positive experience. And, you know, I was very nervous in such yeah. a, you know, conservative place because a year or two after this, I was sitting at a desk across the courtyard from the Rodney King trial. Oh, and and during lunch breaks, a couple of us would go over and sit and watch the trial. And so I was there when the 
the verdict came down and the people were walking around and yelling and the cops were coming over with the SWAT team and invading our building because we're going to be killed by all these protesters. I mean, this was the environment that I was working in. And you know, the people I worked with were supportive the whole time. I got several promotions uh, in my career there. I you know, worked with excellent staff and everybody, you know, it, it was nonplussed by the whole thing. Everybody knew my partner, Greg. Uh, he came to functions with me at the city. We had huge city parties here. And it was, it was really nice uh, experience. And, you know, it was, it's the professional class. It's uh, the educated class that were very open. And there were a few people who were pretty upset. I mean, there was one guy who wanted to bring me up on charges for using the office phone to talk to my boyfriend. Oh, Lord. I should be charged back for that. It made him very uncomfortable that I was gay. But he was, you know, one of four or five people who really took issue with the whole thing. And I was fortunate that I was in a high enough position that people had to work with me. Yeah. One way or another. And usually people would come around and uh, were easy to work with. And I, like I say, I never really had a, a problem. Now, you know, growing up in the 60s and 70s, you're going to high school in the 70s. I mean, there was gay bashing all over the place. And if you weren't on the football team, you were a faggot. And, you know, the, the football team was yelling at you as you're walking across the cuff quad. And heaven forbid you should be in music or theater, which I was, of course, in both, um, because then you're obviously gay. Um, but, that, of course, that's not true. Also, no. Gay football players out there too, that uh, they don't figure it out until later in life. But I was, you know, I was very fortunate. The, you know, sadly, my family didn't um, take it so well. You know, yeah. they, they were very conservative, and you know, I, here I am, thirty-three years old. Good lord! And um, I started dating somebody whose name was Kelly. So my mom kept kept asking about Kelly, and of course, she assumed. Kelly was a woman. So this is going on a while. And, you know, Kelly and I are dating for a good six months plus. So it's time to tell the family. So we were on a little water skiing vacation. And it was the last morning of the vacation. So I sat down after breakfast. And I told everybody that Kelly was a guy. And my dad's reaction was, well, who wants to go water skiing? My mom's reaction was, you've just ruined my last chance of living a perfect Donna Reed life. And she wow. Stormed, stormed off into the RV. Whoa. That's yeah. a little dramatic. <laughs> yeah. And then now my parents' background is, I mean, you could basically film a Sandra D. Troy Donahue movie around my parents' story. Okay. Dad was from the wrong side of the tracks. Mom's parents owned a big orange grove up the hill. This was still a very you know, agricultural area. And my grandparents were in the citrus industry. And um, mom and dad are you know getting you know pretty serious about the relationship. But uh, grandma and grandpa did not approve. He was from the wrong side of the tracks. His parents were from Arkansas, so they were Arkies. Oh, heaven forbid. Yeah. 
Thank God they weren't from Oklahoma. Oh, dear. That forget it would have never happened. <laughs> exactly. So it gets to a point where my grandparents say, uh, you need to stop dating him or we're taking away your car. We are not going to send you to college. And uh, by the way, those clothes are ours. Oh, damn. So um, mom took a long walk on the 22 acres of citrus and she thought about it. And she called my dad and he came and picked her up and took her and she went and lived with his aunt and uncle for a couple of months before they eloped and got married. Um, I think I saw my mother's father and my father on the same piece of property three times in my life. And they were all weddings. So even with the passing of time, feelings didn't soften the coming of children. Oh, nope. In fact, uh, the holidays would come along and we would celebrate with my dad's family and they were warm and they were lovely and they were great. And then we would leave dad at home and the mom, my sister and I would get in the car and drive up to her parents' house and have another Thanksgiving or another Christmas. So and you know, that was my whole life. So when it came time that's like, okay, you know, Kelly's a guy and oh, by the way, Kelly and I broke up and now there's Greg and you know, we're living together and everything and it's Easter and I'm bringing Greg. And they're like, uh, no, you're not. You're welcome to come, but uh, we're not comfortable with you bringing anybody. And so I was like, okay, do you not see how this is exactly like you and dad and how I grew up? with the separate Christmases and you know people not getting along. I'm like, I'm not leaving Greg alone at home on the holidays. No. It's not happening. So there were three or four years where I didn't see my family. And okay. uh, Christmas and birthdays and everything would be a UPS. Um, and it was it took that long and you know my dad has now passed. Evidently he was pretty okay with it all along but he was one of those old-fashioned husbands that didn't say anything yeah and didn't contradict the wife yes and i didn't know how much of it was mom how much of it was dad um i think it was mostly mom you know now looking back at it dad is like it, yeah. past, but you know if you ask my mom she's truthful with you she'd still tell you that she wishes greg was a woman instead of a man yeah and even though you know we you know dote on her hand and foot we take excellent care of her you absolutely do you guys do dote on her um just to give people a little background um she's you know older yeah. and she needs your help with you know the moving and organizing setting up the house grocery shopping taking care of her yeah, every, you guys do everything and we do. We do a yeah. lot. um she's still pretty independent but we're trying to get her into uh, assisted living complex that the living situation changes as your needs change. Yes. So that you can go in there as a fully active senior and age in place. And as you need more care, it's available to you. Yeah. Because she has been falling a little bit um, and she, her mobility is severely compromised. Her balance is severely compromised. So I'm really working, trying to get that, you know, fixed and, better because she's in, otherwise in good health and she's going to be turning 83 on Sunday on Mother's Day Aww. and I think she's got another 10 years in her and Sounds good. yeah I, I want her to have those be 10 good years where she can get around 
in not 10 years. The fact that you both still have so much love for a woman that never accepted your husband, your, your partner, that's remarkable. Most people would have turned their back on their families. I mean, I am the, the poster child of the dutiful son. You know, it's, I, I can't not do it. Yeah. And, and, and there are good parts to, to mom, you know, yeah. well, I'm um, sure. and to my mother. So it's, but you know, there are times when it's just like, oh, really? You know, it's like we were at, um, we took her to the showcase house yesterday as her mother's oh. day birthday present. Uh, we've been doing that every year for about 20 years now. And her mobility has been compromised, but we got her through. We got her up the stairs, we got her down the stairs, uh, the whole nine yards. But then we're sitting and talking at lunch, and she starts talking Fox News stuff. Hmm. And it's just like, oh, you know, and she's wanting to, you know, bait people on the whole issue of reparations. Oh, and I'm okay. like, oh, that's a very controversial issue. <laughs> And my understanding of it is to really rebalance the equation, not necessarily to you know, people who were discriminated against as a result of racial discrimination. Yes. Part of that came out of slavery, but it didn't all come out of slavery. And your average African-American is going to be um, subject to prejudicial thoughts and actions, regardless of whether their ancestors were slaves or not. Yes, absolutely. No, their parents probably still couldn't get a decent loan for a house. Or or be told what they were allowed to live. Exactly. Exactly. And that has consequences. And I tried and I explained those basic understandings to my mom and the, you know, I I don't have a solution here. I don't know what the answer is, but it's a complicated process and a complicated issue. But I get they're trying to rebalance the equation. So we can get past this. And yeah, she she listened. She didn't argue. So that was good. But that is good. yeah, but you know, when you have a very conservative parent and you're not, there's a lot of deep breathing. <laughs> oh, I, I can relate a little bit to that. I can. Because um, again, there's a lot of baiting, you know, of trying to pull you into a fight. And, you know, honestly, some of these fights, I'm I haven't researched, so therefore I'm not with my knowledge and my data. Right. <laughs> and my dad would do this. He would bait me with rhetoric. You know, oh, and it's like, this is rhetoric, dad. You know, and I'd be like, I'd be happy to do some research. And then he would just hit me with rhetoric, 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 rhetoric. And I would take the deep breath. I would count to 10. And then I would look him straight in the eye. And I would say, so... How's the Jaguar running? He had a 67 XKE. I know. that's So just so people know a little backstory, I met Rob's partner, Greg, first. And the first time I ever went to their house, which is a gorgeous craftsman from 1911, 1910? 1915. 1915. There's this silvery blue Jaguar being restored. And I fell in love with that car. Oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> I took that to prom. Oh, you did? Yes. <laughs> Oh man, I mean, I'm jealous that you that whoever you took to prom got to ride in that car because I told Greg, I said I want to ride in that car. Before I knew it, it was sold to a new buyer. They bought it immediately, and I was like, uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> See how he is? 
it was a magnificent car. It really was. And you, I mean, so many things that you guys do. I mean, one of the Zen qualities of Rob is um, whenever he's trying to teach me something new and I get flustered and I'm like, I can't do it. You bring me down those notches, bring that oh, Zen yeah. in, that calm. And so I use it to this day. I know we're totally off topic, but I use that to this day when I'm working on something or I'm trying to get something done and I get kind of worked up and like, I got to get it done. I'm like, what would Rob do? bring it down take a breath and just get it done <laughs> you know that those are all lessons that i learned the hard way yeah you know i was talking yeah. to you know a good girlfriend of mine from simi valley um she's about 10 years older than i am 15 years older than i am she and i hit it off as great well actually she fell in love with me oh it's me valley and and she was one of the reasons why i came out when i did because it was making things very uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, and her husband was getting a little annoyed that <laughs> said to do this this way. And Rob said that. Rob said this. Rob said that. So I finally, well, okay, look, you know, I, during this time, I figured out I was gay. I'm like, well, let's just get this over with so that, you know, we can move on. And our friendship has just gotten stronger and stronger over the years. And so she called oh. me yesterday. It's like, I'm trying to hang curtain rods and it's all wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, girl, what'd you do? And she's, she's telling me all this verbally. I'm like, can we just you know, do FaceTime? She's like, I don't know how to do FaceTime. And I, I tried to do FaceTime with her and somehow it's blocked at her end and I'm not technologically savvy enough. Uh, she might have different types of phones. Sometimes they're not yeah. compatible. So she uh, finally texts me a picture and I look at it and it has one of those keyhole um, attachment points where there's a round hole that the head of the screw goes through. Oh, yeah. And then it slips down into a tighter channel for secure. Yeah, it, it kind of locks it into place nicely. Yeah. Well, she thought that the big hole is where the screw goes. So that's where she took all of her measurements. Oh. And so then in order to have it high enough, she added another screw above it. Oh. And then the screw below it was off center. So then it was cattywampus. <laughs> so I would do that. I would, I could see myself doing that. I absolutely. And it's not that I haven't done these things myself. Yeah. You know, I've, I've done the same thing where I've made the measurement. And then I went, oh, it slides down half an inch. Yeah. So you know, once I saw it, I was able to walk her through and slow her down because she was doing the, I'm just going to put you know, staple going to put these curtains up. I'm just going to get a sledgehammer. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it, I said, you know, Carolyn, I've made that mistake. Yeah. I understand. You know, I'm, I'm so hands-on. I, I like making things that I've, I've dabbled in all the different, you know, I've done a little bit of sewing. I've done a little bit of needlepoint. I've done making lampshades. I can rewire lamps. I can reupholster a little bit of furniture. I can restore yeah. windows. I'm not an expert. You can rebuild doors. You can rebuild foundation. I've seen you do things that I'm like, how? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I'm, I have to be patient with myself first. Yeah. Because I get that level of frustration where I just want to throw the hammer through the wall. And <laughs> you get that frustration when you're a supervisor. Yeah. And there are people you just want to throttle. <laughs> and, you know, it was always like, how do I find a way to communicate to this person that they don't get defensive? 
because if they get defensive, then the walls go up and communication stops. So yeah. how do I keep it all going forward and let them feel good about themselves? And so I, I've developed whatever it is that you're, you're not the first person to comment on it. Um, but it, sure. it, it, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, you know, what's the easiest thing for me to get the job done? And that, that yeah. for me is to calm the other person down and, yeah. let, and then let them take over the momentum. And, you know, that's that's really good advice, because um, a lot of times when you have an employee and uh, employer employee relationship, it's the superiority. So when you're dealing with someone who is subordinate to you, they may feel threatened or, oh, my God, I did something wrong. Right. I'm going to be fired. They're going to yell at me. They're going to write me up. And nobody benefits in that scenario at all. And bringing that calm down, not getting defensive, not triggering the other person to get defensive. Right. To just, okay, there was an error, something went wonky, we're going to move forward. And I just wish there were more managers like that because I, I've, I've had it happen to me. I've also seen it happen to other people where mm -hmm. I've tried to intervene and be like, well, let's all just move forward together. Okay, forget the past. Forget the, you know, let's not argue. And the manager on more than one occasion would be like, no, they still wanted to fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. time and energy. I had two really good supervisors while I was in Simi Valley. One was Jim Lightfoot that we just spoke about. The other yeah. one was DQ. Now, if you go to the old uh, encyclopedia and look up the nicest men in the world, you will find Mike Kuhn's picture. Aww. If you don't, you should. Uh, the guy was just the nicest man in the world. Easy to work with. You know, he could just roll with the punches. And you know, through my career, and even before Simi Valley, I had three or four... Uh, supervisors or people that were in supervisorial roles that I would watch and I would see you know, their calm delivery, their yeah. matter of fact delivery. There was one man who was a city manager over in Monrovia and he was there with, I think, with the redevelopment agency and he was explaining a staff report. It sounded like a bedtime story. It was so easy to under, it was very complicated, very technical, but he made it very easy to understand. That's a matter of fact. And, you know, and I had been in the role of trying to explain technical, complicated things to people and with, with varying successes. And I was watching him do it. I'm like, I want to be him when I grow up. Yeah. No, that's a, that's an awesome model to, to. Yeah. Sure. Um, but bringing it back to the stories <laughs> of the LGBTQ. <laughs> so we also got a life lesson on how to properly manage people. That's very important. Um, but I think, you know, before I let you go, Robin, thank you again for your time. Sure. I think the key takeaways that I learned from this is, um, you know, being true to yourself. You just came to the realization. You didn't beat yourself up. You didn't say, what's wrong with me? You just said, this is it. I'm gay. So what? Oh, well. You're efficient in your delivery by going to the office gossip. That That's magnificent. I just love that story. <laughs> but I, what I loved also was um, your boss, who was from a uh, Methodist missionary family from the Midwest. And his response was, yeah, you're the same person. End of story. And that's the way to everyone who's listening and watching, that is honestly the way it should be everywhere. Because as Rob, when you and I were talking, and I believe it's in my notes, you said, bad people are bad people, regardless of sexual orientation. Right. That right there says it all. 
that was the last thing you said to me before when we talked previously and I hung up. Um, bad people are bad people. Done. It doesn't matter your, your color, your race, your creed, your religion. It's just who you are. And we need to stop basically focusing or projecting prejudices onto others. There is no place for that anymore. We are, we are running out of space for that. And we just need to start being true to each other. So on that, Rob, um, any closing statements that you'd like to make? <laughs> no, no, that, that's that's exactly the point. Um, there's lots of really good straight people. There's lots of really horrible straight people. Oh, yes. Yeah. Same thing in the gay community. There are lots of creepy guys out there. But <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're gay. It just means they're creepy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I dated a few of them. Look, Lord. Ugh. I got to go down memory lane last week with some friends. And I'm like, can you all stop bringing up who I dated? <laughs> you know they're bad people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you got to learn by trial and error sometimes. I had a lot of trial and a lot of error, let me tell you. Well, you know, you ended up with a, a a golden star. I did. I did. Who also, by the way, was a theater and music person. Yes. So there you go. There are a few straight ones still left in the industry. There are. And, <laughs> and, and we met at a gay club. So huh, there Perfect. you go. Perfect. Um, on that, folks, thank you so much for your time. Um, please continue to be nice to each other. Be kind to each other. Um, we are living in really weird times. We need to stop attacking. It's that simple. Um, on that, Rob, thank you so much for your time. Wonderful as always to see you. I am Wendy Nystrom, your host with Environmental Social Justice. You guys take care. Bye.